where we're continuing our journey through the Shadowlands, and, and many of us have been in places that we feel hurt, we feel pain, and yet we just want to get out from underneath it, right? And we try and pretend like it's not there. But as we go through this journey, we're going to learn that the emotions we feel, we, we got to deal with them, we have to resolve them, we have to bring them to the Lord. And so we've been walking through this journey, and a few weeks back, we looked at the story of Job, and we started our journey in the Shadowlands seeing that one of the most common first emotions I think we feel in suffering in the Shadowlands is that of confusion, which leads to fear. You know, and it makes sense. As the world that we built around us and we think we have so much control over begins to crumble and our, our, our illusions begin to fall apart and we realize we don't have the control we thought we did, that we begin to get confused. We grope around in the darkness, not wondering, uh, not knowing, wondering where our next steps are going to be. And so it's a scary time for us to be. And we saw that those emotions last week often turn to anger when we looked at the story of Lazarus and his death. And we saw Mary and Martha both react in anger towards Jesus because they uh, knew that he could have gotten there in time to heal their brother. And they believed firmly that he could have healed their brother. And yet Jesus delayed his coming and he missed Lazarus's death. And by the time they showed up, he had been in the grave for four days. And so they were angry with Jesus because they knew that he could have done something and yet he didn't seem to care enough to come. And so they gave him their anger, right? But we saw that the two different reactions of anger were different. Martha surrendered her anger to Jesus, trusted in him in the end, right? Even though she was angry with him and even though she didn't understand why he didn't come and save her brother, she surrendered to him. So this week we come to the garden and we see Jesus's suffering itself. And we began to see that denial or the... the kind of inward feeling in us of, to try to ignore the pain or try and let the pain pass from us and not have to experience it is a deeply human emotion. It's a deeply human experience that we don't like pain. And so when we encounter it, we want it to go away. Even the Son of God, God himself in the flesh, felt this feeling in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this picture I took when I was in the Holy Lands just recently uh, everybody has asked me what was my favorite spot, if there was any spot in the Holy Lands in my visit that I really liked the most. And I've answered without hesitation every time, the Garden of Gethsemane. It was an incredible space. Now, this space is situated on the bottom of the Mount of Olives, which Jerusalem is kind of built on. They say it's the, the city built on a hundred hills. And so Jerusalem, the old city itself, is built on one hill. And then there's a Kidron Valley, which you'll hear about often in Scripture. And right across from the east gate of the temple is the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives used to be a place where they did what? Can you guess? grew olives, right? And so Gethsemane, the garden, uh, literally the Aramaic of the word Gethsemane means oil press. And so this garden was less kind of as we think of it as a cultivated garden, a place like there's just pretty flowers and stuff like that. Rather, this was the place that was intentionally used to process all those olives from the Mount of Olives into olive oil to be used for various different purposes. And so this was a place that we see Jesus retreats to regularly in scriptures. He goes there with his disciples to pray. And this passage we see in Luke today that was as was his custom. He went across the valley and he went into the garden to pray. It's amazing. This spot is 
not super contested. There's some people who argue that we don't really know the exact spot of the garden. But in the fourth century, we get the account from a guy uh, that this is the exact spot that they were celebrating in those days. So that was in the 300s. And he says that even as early as the second century, Christians were taking pilgrimages to this very spot, the Garden of Gethsemane. Inside of this garden, there's all kinds of olive trees, and many of them are big and old and gnarled. They've actually done carbon dating on three of the trees that they were able to kind of get good enough old samples from the oldest parts of their trunks, and they've dated to over 900 years old. And they believe that the roots are very likely even older than that because they are all from the same genetic ancestor, and so it was clear that somebody was trying to preserve the ancestry of these these olive trees. Now this tree, this tree that I have a picture of, they have not tested. There's five other trees that are very, very old and they haven't tested because they just can't get old enough samples to really determine how old they are. But this tree they believe is over 2,000 years old. And so this tree was potentially there when Jesus was walking in this garden and when he was praying. Now, sometime around in the 1800s, the Western church, the Roman church, gained control of the entire grounds of this site. And before that, there was no walls at all. You could just walk across the Kidron Valley from the old city, and you could walk up the hill right into the Garden of Gethsemane, and you could just sit and pray and do whatever you want. But once the Roman church gained control over it, they built some walls around it to try to protect it a little bit and to keep it sanctified, keep it from being destroyed uh, just from all the foot traffic. And they built a chapel around a space that they have, going way back in tradition, believed was the space that Jesus actually knelt down and prayed. It's a piece of exposed bedrock, kind of quartz bedrock that's there. And this is the chapel that they built, absolutely beautiful. And if you walk to the front of this, you'll see a whole bunch of people kneeling down, and it's because they've kept that piece of bedrock exposed at the front of this chapel, and you can actually walk right up to it. I didn't even wait in line, and you can just kneel down and put your hands on it and pray. And so I I sat there, and I prayed the same prayer as Jesus. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. What an amazing experience it was to be in this garden and to praise God in this garden. But the feelings, the weight that is there was something I didn't anticipate. The feeling of being in that space, the weight of God's glory in that space, and thinking about the moment where Jesus suffered so deeply that he sweat bullets of blood was heavy in that space. I didn't really have words as I was there. Our group gathered around and they were all sharing things and the the leader of the tour kind of came to me and said, Chris, you've been quiet. Why don't you say something? And I I said, I have nothing to say. Imagine that. (laughs) Me with nothing to say. It was an incredible feeling being there in that space, being a part of that history and walking on the same ground Jesus did. But this is the space where Jesus agonized and suffered so that we might be saved. When we think about that, when we think about God becoming flesh and suffering for us, there's no story like that in all of history. There's no story where a God would care so much that He would become a human like us, though He doesn't need to, and that He would willingly place Himself in the position of all humanity and He would walk 
through the shadowlands with us. What an amazing, amazing story. I think that we can take some things from this story. I think the first thing that we see is that questioning is okay, right? How many of you have ever felt guilty from questioning the Lord on his will or something like that? When you've been through suffering and you've questioned, what are you doing here, God? And you think, oh, wait, maybe I shouldn't say that. Is lightning going to strike me? Well, guess what? Jesus did it. In the garden, he knelt down and he said, if there's any other way, if there's any way you can have this cup pass from me, Lord, do it. He questioned the will of God. Now, Jesus knew exactly what needed to happen. We have the accounts of the Gospels where he was teaching for months, maybe years, his disciples that this moment must come. He told his disciples flat out that he must die so that all the world might be saved. He expressed exact knowledge of what was to come. And yet in the moment when he began to feel the suffering and the weight of all of our suffering being put on him, he said, could we try a different way? (laughs) So questioning is okay. It's not a sin to ask questions of God. It's okay for us to ask questions of God. Jesus did it in the garden. And if Jesus did it, that means that it's okay for us to ask questions. And once again, we see another example of God inviting all of our emotion, all of our frustration, all of our questions to be cast upon him because he's big enough to handle it. We try and protect God from our feelings, thinking that he doesn't understand, and yet he completely understands. And he says, throw it at me. I'll I'll take it on. Now, in the garden there, I said I I was sitting there in a group. We got actually some time in a private section of the garden, and our group kind of gathered, and they were talking. It was all a bunch of group of pastors, so of course everybody had something to say. And so as I was sitting there listening to what everybody else was sharing about being in this space and the feeling of it, I was staring at my feet. And as I stared at my feet, I realized that the dirt could have been any dirt that I've ever seen in my entire life, right? Does that, could you tell that was the Garden of Gethsemane? No. It looks like how many other places of dirt you've ever set your feet on, right? Guess what? In the Garden of Gethsemane, this holy place where the God of the universe became human and sat and prayed in agony for us, there was dirt under the grass. Like any other dirt. And I took a picture because to me, that represented the humanity of Jesus Christ. The suffering that he went through was not unique or special or different. It was human suffering. Like all of us experience when we walk through the shadowlands. It was not special dirt. It was the dirt that's common across all of the earth. And so the suffering that he felt in that garden is similar to the suffering you feel when you're walking through the shadowlands. So don't think that he had special permission to question and ask if there was any other way. He was doing 
the human thing. And so it's okay if we question. But here's one caveat. Never ask a question that you don't want the answer to. Right? Jesus said, if there's any other way, let's do it. But was there any other way? No. No, because if the father had another way, he probably would have honored that request. Jesus himself knew there was no other way. And even in the moment when he was questioning, he knew probably what the answer was. Sometimes God will give you an answer when you question that you don't want to hear. Sometimes it'll be an answer that's a non-answer, like Job, remember? Remember at the end of Job when we explored that, when God does not tell Job why his suffering began, it was a bet between him and the devil? He never shares that information with Job. So unfair from our perspective. And yet that wasn't the point, and that's not what God was doing in Job's life. So sometimes the answers you get aren't going to feel satisfactory. And they're not going to be the answer you want. So only question when you're willing to hear God's answer the way God wants to give it. Second thing, denial doesn't solve anything. Denial does not solve anything. There are entire systems of religion in this world that are built around the idea that evil and that suffering are not real They're illusions and they don't exist. And the only way for us to gain power over them is to recognize this and to just ignore them. Yeah, that's a funny picture. But this is the way that whole philosophical systems treat suffering. And it sounds like a silly thing, right? When we hear that, we think, that's ridiculous. Of course evil, of course suffering is real. Don't you see the effects of it, right? And yet, daily, we often do the same thing, right? When we're going through suffering, when we're facing trials of many kinds, when we are walking through the shadowlands, we stick our heads in the sand and pretend like it's not happening. Now, part of that is because this culture that we're a part of has trained us to believe that our emotions in the midst of suffering are bad and evil because it makes other people uncomfortable, right? And you hear the statements all the time, just move on already, get over it already, right? And so we hear these comments and we begin to internalize that it must be bad for us to feel these feelings and it feels bad, so I'm not going to feel them. I'm just going to stuff them deep down. I'm going to bury them. I'm going to deny them. How many of you have ever done that in your lives? Does it work out? No. Mostly murmurings of no. It'll come out at some point, and it'll probably be way worse than if you dealt with it in the first place and acknowledged it in the first place. Jesus was truly human, and Jesus was truly going through an agonizing event starting in that garden. And he didn't deny it. He felt the full weight of it. Yeah, he questioned God's will and he asked if there was any other way, but he never denied the reality of what he was going through the entire time. He took it on and he dealt with it and he felt it. Mount of Olives is now largely a burial site. At some point, the Jewish um, 
culture believed that the Mount of Olives is a part of a prophecy in Ezekiel and that uh, the Mount of Olives will actually split with an earthquake in the end times and that the resurrection of the dead to eternal life will start there at the Mount of Olives. And so the most prominent Jewish figures throughout history have been buried on the Mount of Olives. So when you actually look at the Mount of Olives, it's just a ton of tombs all across the whole side of it. There's barely any olive trees anymore. It's just a bunch of tombs. Now, one of the most interesting things as you walk through that is all over on top of the, the tombstones, there's these rocks. And it looks just like it's dirty, like rocks have fallen down and nobody's like swept off the top. But what this is, is that Jews... As they go and mourn the ones that they've lost, they think that flowers and other things that are going to wither and fade away are too impermanent. That the pain of the loss is everlasting. And so they don't put something on there that's going to fade and wither away. They put a rock because that rock's going to stand just like their feelings about that loss. And so it's a permanent reminder to them of that loss. If you have had these hurts and these pains in your life, I'm not telling you to live there. I'm not telling you to dwell in them. We are told that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But at the same time, if we don't acknowledge the feelings we have, and if we don't begin to bring them to God in a healthy way, we're never going to get over them. We're never going to get through them. We're never going to heal from them in a way that that is healthy. And so we need to bring our garbage, our feelings, our emotions, our suffering to the Lord and let him deal with it. The last thing I think that we see in this story is that we need to trust even in the midst of it. We need to trust God even in the midst of it. This is work. This is not an easy thing. This is not a simple thing. This is work. It is discipline to trust God. God in the midst of it. In fact, I think that you have to do this work when you're not in the shadowlands so that when you do go into times of suffering, you will fall back on your trust of God that you've built in the brighter times. This is a great quote from Oswald Chambers. He said, faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I'm visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. In other words, his point is that if you are in suffering and you are just believing in God so that you might be delivered from your suffering, that's no faith at all. That's selfishness. That's self-centeredness. Instead, faith, looking at the suffering in spite of it, chooses to believe that God is still good and God is still love despite the fact that you don't feel it right now. This takes incredible discipline of scripture reading and prayer in your daily life so that you would build into your soul the knowledge that God loves you and he showed it on the cross so that when all other things begin to cause you to doubt that love, you can lean on all that time you spent building it into your soul to trust in him, to grab hold. And to let him have control, whatever it might mean. This is what Jesus does when he lays on that bedrock. And the end of his prayer is, but not my will, your will be done.
May we join Jesus in that prayer. That in times of suffering, that we would not be afraid to ask questions of God, but that we won't live in denial of the things that we're experiencing. But in the end, we would put our hands into God's hands and trust him, no matter what it looks like for us, and say, not my will, but your will be done.